Hi, I'm Kelsey Farias. And I'm Armando Farias. And each week we will be sharing knowledge and inspiration on becoming a better you. Feeling down, defeated, or looking at how to better yourself? We got you. Already successful? Great. Let's help you achieve even more. Sit back and get prepared to hear about overcoming challenges related to self-development, such as mental health, relationships, goal setting, personal growth, fitness, and dream building. Welcome Welcome to to Self-Love Sit-Downs. Welcome everybody to another episode of Self-Love Sit-Downs. Kelsey and Armando here with you today, and today we have a very special guest, something that we've been having in the works for a long time now, trying to get together and record this. Uh, This is a woman that has gone through so much in her life, in her young, short life. She's 26 years old. She's dealt with eating disorders. She's struggled with her sexuality. And she also is a female in a male-dominant job environment home. Please welcome Brittany Westoff. What's up? (laughs) (laughs) So just a little uh, little background. So uh, I actually know Brittany through work. We actually work together. So... Uh, I've known her for a little bit over a year now and uh, something uh, it it just goes to show I've known her this long and I've just recently found out that all the stuff that she's gone through and it just goes to show that we don't know the struggles that everybody's gone through in their life and what they've done to get to where they are in their lives now and that's why we wanted to bring her on because she is probably one of the strongest women that I know because she's not a quitter she keeps driving for success she uh has accepted her uh, being vulnerable, which is, I think, huge, which a lot Mm -hmm. of us struggle with because it's something that uh, once you accept your vulnerability, you actually, I think you, you blossom, you become a better person overall because you've accepted yourself. So we're going to dive into a lot of great topics that I believe our audience will really enjoy. And they'll really enjoy uh, hearing Brittany's story and her journey through her eating disorder and where she's at today in life. Let's just dive right in. All right. Sounds good. Well, so as Armando said, I'm Brittany Westhoff, 26. I work in the fire service uh, here in Washington State. Been doing it for about four years. I've been full-time for a little over a year, year and a half. Um, I also ref high school basketball. And, no, I just try to live life to the fullest every day after kind of everything that's gone on. Absolutely. So why don't you start with telling us uh, a little bit about your struggle with your eating disorder, when it started, how did it start and kind of the path to get through that? Yeah. So I was around 16, 17 when my eating disorder started, um, in high school, I was always the athlete loved by everyone kind of thing. Um, my sister was off in college. My parents really started struggling. Uh, my dad moved out of the house and my mom kind of got into a pretty deep depression and the one thing that she could control was her eating habits. Um, and I kind of fell into supporting her and became the parent to her and helping her with that. But at the same time, I was having my own struggles with, you know, trying to still be a kid, but Mm -hmm. be there for my mom. And, um, so that's when it, it really started. We got on a diet together and, um, like I said, I, I was an athlete, so I was no, really not in any place to need to lose weight or control any of that. But, um, it kind of progressed into college. I I went to Hawaii to go to college and just wanted to get as far away as possible, but moving away, I, I didn't have a lot of control over anything. Um, the one thing I could control though, was my food intake and how I looked. Uh, I didn't, I moved over there only knowing one person and 
I thought the best way to to get people to like me was to look a certain way, be a certain way, um, just fit that mold that I thought everyone wanted. Um, I was real scared of gaining that freshman 15. And so I just really started restricting what I was putting in my body. Um, From Hawaii, I moved back home for a little bit. I realized it really wasn't for me. Continued on over to Minnesota to fulfill my dream of playing college basketball. And once I got over there, that's really when my eating disorder just, I fell headfirst into it. And I had went over to Minnesota, started playing basketball, realized that I was really struggling with something I had never faced before in my life. And that was my sexuality. Um, I realized I was attracted to women and I I wasn't okay with it. I grew up in a, a very small town where that wasn't okay, a very conservative family. But again, the one thing I control was what was my eating habits. And um, I started over-exercising, restricting my eating. There was a point where I was only intaking 500 calories a day, running nine to 11 miles. Crazy. And yeah. Just thinking that that's what it was going to take for me to be liked and for me to be loved and to love myself. Yeah. Um, I quickly realized that that was not what was going to work for me. Um, I remember walking up the stairs one day to my dorm room and I was losing my breath. I couldn't get up a flight of stairs without having to stop. And, um, that's when I, I kind of sat down and my mom had called me that night and asked me what I'd eaten that day. I think she knew something might be going on, but wasn't really aware of it. And she told me that I better eat something before I have a problem. And that's the first time that I vocally admitted, you know, I, I think that I already do. Yeah. So the, the next time home, I, I went home for Easter break and got a doctor's appointment and found out I, I did have bradycardia. My heart rate was only about 38 to 40 wow. uh, beats per minute and much slower than what it should have been for my age yeah. and weight and size. Um, and I, I think that's really when I was like, wow, like this is something that I don't know that I can face on my own. And so she gave me a few tools and uh, exercises to go back. To Minnesota with and try to you know, finish out the rest of the semester, gain some weight and get my life back on track. And I had come back and no progress. I'd actually lost more weight. Um, super unhealthy. I was obsessed with taking you no know, body progress pictures of myself and what I thought looked good in the mirrors, not what came back on the camera. It was major yeah. body dysmorphia. Mm-hmm. Um, so I finally started treatment in June of 2014. And from there, it was a constant struggle of, do I want to get better? Do I feel worthy of getting better? Is yeah. this for me? Do I actually have a problem? Just lots of questions. Wow. Like when I think of that and I think of, you know, I, I'm not going to speak for you on this, but in that situation where here you feel like your sexuality, like, I don't want this. This is not what I want. I don't have control over that. So I can control this. And then you kind of step into the realm of like the body dysmorphia. So it's just like layers on top of layers of the issues. And a lot of times we just want to mask them with another issue. And when you like, when you actually stop and look at that as an outsider looking in, you would say like, oh my gosh, like you need to get help for this. But a lot of times when it's us, we're in such a different mindset with that, that it's really hard to recognize that, okay, maybe I do need help. Maybe I, maybe I have to get help for this. So I really just have to applaud you for that because 
people don't realize when you're in something, it's very, very different. You know, like you'll speak to individuals who are in like abusive relationships and they're like, oh, when I was in it, I didn't even see it. You know, just like you were talking about the photos of the body dysmorphia and like what you were seeing in the photos was like, oh my gosh, look at, like, look at my body. It looks so bad here. But other people are looking at you going like, Hey, are you okay? Like, you don't even look like you've got any body fat on you, but all you see are the negative. And it's just so hard to see outside of that. So I just really, really have to applaud you because at such a young age to have so many layers to what you were going through and saying, you know what, I need help. Like that takes such a big person. And that is one of the hardest steps for most people is to realize that they have a problem that needs to be fixed. And so it's just like truly so like hats off to you in being able to say like, Hey, actually I already have a problem and I do need help for this. I can't do this on my own. Most people don't do that, you know? So kudos to you on that. Yeah, absolutely. And thank you. And the amount of times I couldn't even tell you that people would say, you know, just eat or you're you're too skinny, you're too thin, you look like a twig. For me, that was like, oh my gosh, I'm doing something that people are recognizing. And it was almost like a a sense of accomplishment. Mm -hmm. And then the farther into treatment I got when someone would tell me, well, just eat. Well, it's it's not as simple as that when you have this other voice inside your head saying, don't you dare eat that. Like, Mm -hmm you're going to go 10 steps back from the progress that we have made. Yeah. It's It's such a mindset thing too. And, and that's exactly what, like how you said, you know, the voice inside your head, it's so different. And like somebody saying, you know, just with both sides of the spectrum, like somebody telling you will just eat or somebody who's severely overweight and struggling with their relationship with food. Somebody just saying, Oh, well just have one. You don't have to have 10. And it's like, yeah, but my mind is telling me like something completely different. It's not that easy, you know? And it's always like from the outside looking in, people are like, well, why can't you just do it? And it's like, it's not that simple. And that's where people get really hung up. Like, why can't I just do it? You know? And they feel like something's wrong with them. But like we talked about before we started recording is like, literally you have chemical imbalances that are telling you otherwise. There's more to this than just eat or just quit running or just put the cookies down. You know, it's just not that simple. Yeah, absolutely. And, and when you mentioned like just quit running, it's, in my head, it was, okay, if I eat this meal, I have to go run. Like it was no question. It didn't matter if it was rain, snow, sunshine outside. I I had to go because on my fitness tracker, it said you've ate this much. Mm -hmm. Now I need to get rid of this much. Yeah. And now being in recovery and I'll say forever that I'm in recovery because an eating disorder isn't just something you, you get over and it's gone. Yeah. And like we had discussed before we started recording as well, you would ask me if there was still times that I struggle and there, there is, there's definitely still times that, you know, those, the, at a menu at a restaurant, the calories right next to it. Those are the first thing that come to my mind before I even read what the food item is. My mind goes straight to the calories that I'm about to intake and I can justify it now. And I can tell myself, you know, I'm not going to eat the whole portion or my body's going to know what to do with it. It's going to be okay. But when you're in that mindset, that's not even a, a question in your mind. It's you can't have that. Yeah. 
I think that I, I think it's like we talk about a lot about like how it goes kind of both ways. Like you were in that uh, in that moment that you had that eating disorder where you had to go run. You can't eat this. You can't eat that. And yet you were doing more damage than good to your body. But if you were like, and it just kind of goes to show, like if you were to flip roles and say you were like a, like a, like a athlete, right? Like you had, so that just goes to show you have the mental capacity to really stick to something and really see something through. And I think that's something that you have. That's really amazing. You have this potential to like, I did that. Now I can do this. Like Mm -hmm. I want to go do this. And I think that's, it's almost helped you. It's kind of like that uh, mental toughness, that mental toughness, because like, wow, I did that. I went through that. I went through that journey. And now, like, if I want to do anything else, I can do something else. I can accomplish that. Um, I think one of the, one of the things you mentioned was uh, that your lowest weight was a hundred pounds. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm, you know, now I, I'm at a very healthy weight. And the one thing that I really learned throughout treatment as well was you know, all of our bodies, we have a set weight that our body feels comfortable being that healthy weight that no matter if you get to a point where you continue eating, like for, for instance, um, throughout treatment, I was on a eating plan. And so my dietitian had scheduled all my meals, I had to have so many calories per meal. And in treatment, they call them exchanges because calories just kind of like a trigger word. Yeah. And so I had to get so many exchanges per day. And finally, like once my body got up to a weight, I was still eating the same amount of exchanges, but my body had plateaued. And that's how, that's how we work as humans is we all have that certain weight that our body is okay with us being. And at the time I had, I was down at a hundred pounds and I had to gain 35, 40 more pounds before my body would plateau. And this was the healthy weight that I was at. And now I feel great. And I, I have no problem with, you know, I don't need to check my weight every day because if I like how I look in the mirror, then that's all that matters. And the one thing in treatment that they really taught us was to look at yourself and just accept who you are. And that's my body. This is who I am. And I'm going to love myself for it. Yeah. And that's such a big piece of the puzzle too, because like something I tell my clients is you need to love the body that you have while you work for the body that you want, because if we don't work on the mindset side of things while we're working on that process, you're going to get there and be unhappy, you know, and obviously I work with more weight loss clients. So for them, it's like, Oh, I'm overweight. I hate my body. I wish I were smaller, but this can be applied to your case as well, where you're like having a hard time seeing your body gain the weight, but it's like, I love my body because it's keeping me alive. It's allowing me to do these things that I love to play sports, to spend time with family, you know, all of this. And it just goes to show no matter where you are in your journey, no matter what the journey looks like, whether you're trying to gain or lose weight is like, you have to work on the mindset side of things and how you speak to yourself is so important. Like, the the voice, the person you spend the most time with is yourself. So that relationship better be good because also how you, how you treat yourself is how you teach others to treat you. And so I think it's just really important to like, like even in therapy, like you were in therapy, you were literally seeking help for this and trained professionals were telling you like, Hey, look at yourself and tell yourself that you love yourself, you know? And it's just like, why don't we talk about that more? Why don't we talk about that side of things? Because, you know, when you talk about that side of, you know, self-care per se is like, 
why don't we talk more about like, Hey, talk to yourself in a positive manner. Why do, why do we consider that to be like very woo woo of us? You know, why can't that just be a normal thing for us to do? Because no matter where you are, women struggle on any end of the spectrum, you know, whether you want to lose weight or whether you're having a hard time gaining weight, you know, even for men, you know, a lot of men struggle with, Oh, I wish I were bigger. I wish I had more muscle. And it's like, we just, it's just so untalked about undiscussed territory, but it's important to understand like how you talk to yourself, um, you know, how, how you love yourself and care for yourself that matters. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, that's the one thing that you mentioned, like with my body now I can do, I can do my job that I have to do. For instance, I, there's no way when I was in my eating disorder that I would have been able to be a firefighter and perform the job as it needs to be done. And that's a huge thing for me now when I have those triggers that might pop up is, Mm -hmm. you know what, like I love my job more than anything in the world. And I need to be able to do this job. I remember that there was a a time in therapy when we had a, I had a session with my therapist and we started talking about your inner child. And it's that little girl who lives or little boy, whoever it might be that lives within you. And she had asked me, she was like, would you treat your daughter the way that you're treating yourself? Would you starve your daughter? Yeah. In all these ways. And I was like, oh my gosh, like that was kind of my, my turn in therapy was, I was like, Oh my, like, no, I wouldn't like, I would want her to be healthy. I'd want her to be happy. I want her to love herself. And it's such a, an odd thing nowadays where it, we don't feel okay saying that for ourselves, but we can do it for other people. Exactly. And so it's just taking that one second to be like, okay, I would never treat anyone else this way. Why am I treating myself like this and getting to the root of those problems? Oh my gosh. Like you talking about that turning point for you in therapy. So I had a very similar turning point in therapy about my anxiety. I struggle so bad with just severe anxiety and kind of the, like the thing that my therapist, like a exercise that we ran through was she was like, think of your anxiety as a person that's there to protect you. Like how amazing is it that you have this person that's willing to always be with you and be there to protect you. And like, so we walked through these exercises of like talking about times that I've had anxiety and why I had anxiety. And we really worked through like those different scenarios. And she was like, okay, what if going forward, instead of looking, cause my anxiety, I've always looked at it as such a negative, it's just like been a black cloud for me. And so she kind of like reframed it and was like, okay, what if instead we think of your anxiety as a person that's here to protect you and how amazing that you have somebody willing to love you enough to do so. And what if you just think of like your anxiety and say, okay, you know what? thank you for protecting me, but I think I've got this one. And for whatever reason, that was such a pivotal thing for me. I was like, oh my gosh, wow. Like when I think of my anxiety as a person to protect me, just putting that positive spin and reframing it, I was like, just absolutely mind blown. So I love that your, you know, situation in therapy was the same. And it's like, I would have never come to that on my own, you know? And so that's just like, speaks to the power of getting a professional's help with this, you know? Yeah, exactly. And also just like you said, recognizing that it's there. And that was the thing with an eating disorder is I, I called my eating disorder Ed and he was this little voice inside my head. Yeah. And it 
recognizing like, yeah, I hear you. I hear what you're saying. Yeah. I'm going to do this. Yeah. Having that voice for yourself and realizing I'm okay. I don't need anyone else's opinion. I've got this. And I'm going to do what these trained professionals are telling me to do because they're the ones who I have to learn how to trust. Yeah. Yeah. Can you tell us the story about Ed and your Halloween costume? Oh my gosh. Yes. So (laughs) I was in treatment and it was towards, towards the end of treatment. We all had to wear a Halloween costume um, to therapy that day. And I was in therapy. We were there eight hours a day, seven days or five days a week. And so we used to do these outings where we'd go to grocery stores, restaurants, the park, anything like that. Well, that day we had gone to the grocery store and our therapist was like, you know what? Everyone wears their costume. Well, my costume was this big cardboard box wrapped in wrapping paper. And it said to Ed from Brittany, I chose recovery. And the minute she said we were going to the grocery store, I was like, wow, I'm literally wearing a billboard outside that says I have an eating disorder. And I just had to be okay with it. We went to the grocery store. No one really said anything. And we were walking back to the building that we were at. And there was this gal at the stoplight. And she kind of looked at me, looked at my present and was like, who's Ed? And I stopped for a minute. And that little voice inside my head was like, do not say anything, like make something up. And I was like, you know what? I hear you, but I'm just going to tell her the truth. And I was like, I have an eating disorder and I chose to recover from it. And that's what I'm doing now is I'm in recovery. And it was such a fulfilling thing to like hear myself say and be like, wow, like I've accepted it. I've accepted that I'm struggling and I'm choosing to be better for myself and the people that are in my life. Wow. Like what a pivotal moment. Yeah. And you said something that really stuck to me when you mentioned like an eating disorder is a, it thrives in secrecy, right? Yeah. In the back of your mind, it's the, you only, you know about it. Like, and, and that's where it blossoms. Like it's, if you don't talk about it and I felt like that story was kind of like, I don't know, that, that was like big uh, aha moment, big thing for you to accept and say it out loud. Like I have one. So that yeah. secret wasn't there anymore. You opened Pandora's box. I did. Yeah. And to literally to say out loud, like, yeah, I have an eating disorder. It little by little, the more I accepted that started taking his voice away and quieting him down. And I was able to just become my own person and accept, yeah, I've had these struggles. And and even today, I'm very open about it. Obviously, I'm on the podcast with you guys talking about it. But um, yeah, I because you never know what what anyone else is struggling with. And what I had found, especially after treatment, I had started mentoring young women who were middle school, high school, struggling with eating disorders, struggling with their sexuality. And the more I started saying, like telling them my story, it was okay for them to open up about their story. Yeah. And they were able to accept it and face those struggles that they were dealing with. There's so much power in vulnerability. It's so hard. Yeah. Like what I think is like being vulnerable about like different pieces of my life. I'll tell you that I have met some of the fucking coolest people ever that I would have never met because of the fact that I was vulnerable and put something out there that felt really hard and uncomfortable. And that just opened a door for them to say, Oh my gosh, me too. And there's so much power in that. And like, I feel like there's a point you tell me if you feel the same way, but I feel like there was a point for me. I'm somebody who I used to be very private, a little bit more closed off, like keep my secrets to myself Mm -hmm. type. And after I started like letting them go, like freeing all these secrets, I just feel like, man, 
here we are. Take me for me. Like, this is what, what you see is what you get. And there's just so much power in that. I just feel so free. And I feel like I've made like some of the deepest connections in my entire life after just being vulnerable. And I would have never had that before. And now it's so much easier. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Like being able to, I'm sure that people who I'm friends with or whatever, I open up very quickly and I'm like, you know what? Here's the things I've struggled with. You might not want to hear it right now, but mm-hmm. you're going to get all of me or none of me. So exactly. that's up yeah. to you. That's how I am. I'm like, take me for me. Yep. Ex- me. Yeah. <laughs> one really of my, one of my best friends, actually, we were at CrossFit together. I'd never met her before. And we were just on the bikes together and she, we got to talking and I was like, Oh, like, when did you join? Started having this conversation. She was like, well, I used to have an eating disorder and you know, I I'm at a place now that I can work out. And I was like, Oh my gosh. I was like, no way. I was like me too. And so we start talking and realized that we had gone to the same treatment center and missed each other by just a month. And she's still one of my best friends to this day. And I'm like, just those connections that are made off being able to be open and vulnerable with someone and tell them like, yeah, these were my struggles forms just those concrete connections. Yeah, absolutely. And you would have missed out on a best friend. Yeah. And like, when you think of that, it's like, wow, like the world really gave me this purpose, you know, to be able to bond with people and teach people. And like, especially for yourself, like mentoring young girls like that in such like, that's such a pivotal age as a female specifically, I feel, you know, you're trying to figure yourself out. You're trying to, you know, fit into your place in this world. And sometimes we want to change ourselves to fit. And it's like, no, just fit where you're supposed to fit, you know, and you getting to mentor young girls like that. I feel like that is like, that's got to feel so damn good. Like you have to just feel so fulfilled being able to do that. I do. And it's, it's difficult for me or the times that are the most difficult for me is when I'm talking to them and I'm telling them about here's the things that we had in common during that time. And, and they're just not at that place to accept that Yeah, they want to, they want to be ready to recover. And that is the main thing that I kind of came out of treatment with was you have to be ready to make that change. No one's yeah. going to make it for you. Yeah. You have to accept you have the problem and you, and you want to start recovery. And I can preach to the world as much as I want to about how recovered life is so much better than being with your eating disorder. But until that time comes that you're ready to accept it and start your journey, it won't do any good. Oh my gosh. We just had a conversation this morning about the whole, the whole quote of you can lead a horse to water, but you can't force them to drink. And that's absolutely how it is in anything in anybody's journey, no matter what, whether you're wanting to lose weight, gain weight, recover, start a business, anything, you still have to do the work. You have to be ready to do the work. And that's the hard part. And sometimes I can only imagine, especially in recovery, you seeing people and you knowing what the other side looks like. And you're like, I just want to give it to you, but somebody has to be willing to accept it and do it. And that's got to be really hard for you to see though. Yeah, there's definitely, and even times just being out, you know, in the grocery store or doing whatever throughout the day. And I see people, I'm like, oh man, like, I know you're struggling, but I don't, it's not my place to jump in and say, Hey, like, let me help you. Yeah. They, you need to reach out and get that help on your own. But like we had talked about earlier, it's just that having that strength within yourself to say, all right, I need help. I can't do this on my own. 
Exactly. Yeah. Somebody's got to get to that moment for themselves, unfortunately. And Mm -hmm. it can be so hard to watch somebody, you know, struggle with that in anything. You know, I think of people being in abusive relationships. I think of people suffering from depression, you know, recovery, so many different avenues that that can be applied to, but it is true. We can't want it enough for the, for them too, you know, they have to want it themselves. So I would love to talk on, you kind of told us that part of your eating disorder was you struggling with your own sexuality. So why don't you kind of walk us through what that looked like and kind of coming to terms with that? And how did it go coming out to your family and friends and everything? Yeah, absolutely. So I had known from a very young age, something, something was off, something was different. And I would say it was in third grade. I had one moment exactly that I was at a snowboard camp and I was walking down the hallway and one of the older girls had kind of peeked her head out. I had my skateboard and my helmet in my hand. And she was like, Oh my gosh, you guys, this is that, that gay little kid that I was talking about. And I had heard that. And I was like, Oh, what does that even mean? Like, I don't, I don't really understand. And that was the first time that I'd kind of stopped and was like trying to figure out what she meant by that. Yeah. And so I just kind of lived life throughout, you know, grade school, middle school, high school, knowing that there was something that I didn't want to accept. I had boyfriends through middle school, high school, into college, and I just, I couldn't accept that I liked women. And I didn't fully understand what it was that I was struggling with until I had got to college. I was in Hawaii and my RA for our dorm room floor had was kind of telling us about herself. And she said, Oh, I'm bisexual. And I was like, why do I have this weird, like connection? Like, yeah. I don't, I don't get it. And so I talked to my friend who I, I had there and I was like, no, like, I think this is something like I might be struggling with. And I broke down and I had sent him this long text. that was just like, I, I don't like myself for this. It's not okay. You know, we had grown up in the same town, very small, conservative, just was not talked about. There was no lesbians or gays there and his response back was more than I ever could have imagined and he was just like you know what I love you for you I'm never gonna stop loving you and you're my best friend I don't there's nothing else I have to say and I was like holy smokes like that means so much yeah but I still didn't have the confidence to open up and say this is who I am this is what I'm struggling with and so it was throughout treatment that I finally put everything together and was like I am a lesbian and I don't know that I'm okay with that. And I, I struggled with it, struggled with it. And finally literally got home one day and marked it on my calendar. Like, this is the day I'm going to tell my therapist, like I like women. And I went into her office that day and just broke down and she was like, what's going on? And I was like, I think, I think I like women. And she was like, okay, like who cares? And for me, I was like, no, 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 you're supposed to be mad. Like, (laughs) like, you're supposed to be in disgust. This isn't supposed to be right. And so we had that conversation about you don't choose who you like. If I could choose to be straight, maybe I would. Like it would would have made my life a little bit easier. But you know, I'm I'm not. And I had to accept that. And so it was something we'd worked on in therapy throughout the rest of my treatment. And finally I it came to a day that I was giving a recovery talk for a bunch of the girls who were in treatment with me, uh, you know, community members, my family, my parents were there. This was something I had never thought I would ever tell my parents. 
And in my talk, I preached about self-acceptance and vulnerability and just being who you are. And I got to a point that I was like, you know what? I can't preach all this stuff if I'm not living by it. And so in my talk, I had come out and I said, you know, I've, I've struggled with liking girls since the third grade and I'm not going to put a label on myself. I'm not going to say I'm gay, lesbian, bi, anything like that. I, I'm just me. I'm just Brittany. And, you know, after that, it was such a sense of relief off my shoulders. And I got done with the talk and I was like, wow, I, I feel good about that, but was so scared about what my parents were going to say. Yeah. And they had ended up getting up and walking out without saying anything to me. And I was like, okay, I knew this was going to go one of two ways. It was going to be, we're going to accept you with open arms. We're going to love you or this isn't okay. And we're going to have a discussion about it. Yeah. And so I was driving home. I pulled into my apartment complex and I had got a text from my dad and all it said was, I'm so proud of you. And I was just kind of shocked because I was like, oh my gosh, out of both my parents, I for sure thought he was going to disown me. Like <laughs> this, this isn't okay. But to yeah. hear him say that, I was like, wow, like that's great. And then shortly after that, I get a phone call from my mom and I had given this hour long talk, most of it about my eating disorder and my struggles with that. And the first thing that she said was, so are you a lesbian? And I just kind of stopped and I was like, you don't get it. You don't understand that I've been struggling with this for 19 years and it's been this weight that's been on my shoulders and I, it's been lifted and everything tonight that I talked about was my struggle with my eating disorder and how I've overcome that. And so I was just like, you know, I, like I said, I don't want to put a label on myself. I'm, I'm still me mom. Like, yeah, this is who I am. And she wanted that definite answer of, are you a lesbian? Yeah. And so finally I was like, yeah, I am. And our conversation was about that long. And for around the next six months after that, everything we talked about was very surface level. We didn't acknowledge it. It was not an openly accepted thing in my household. And I was okay with that because I knew that this is something I had struggled with for 19 years. It's she's not going to be okay with it overnight. It's going to take time for her to process it. And I mean, today, eight years later, we are, she's my best friend. We make jokes to each other about it all the time. She has loved my girlfriends in the past and it's, it's okay now. And I knew that it was going to take that time to process. And for her, it's been such a great thing because people have come to her and said, Hey, my, my son has come out as gay. How did you handle it? And she's able to talk with them and say, you know, I, it was hard for me in the beginning, but I just want my daughter to be happy. I want her to be loved and I want her to have that family. And that was one of the big things was her question was, well, how are you going to have kids? Do you want kids? And I was like, well, there, there are other options. Yeah. I, yeah. Like I would, I would love to adopt a kid. If I wanted one, you can also do IVF. Like there are so yeah. many other things that you can do, but as a parent, I think growing up, you never, you never want anything bad to happen to your kid. You have this life in your head that you kind of want them to fulfill. And yeah. I just threw a little bit of a, a ringer in that with, yeah. you know, here's a speed bump we're gonna have to overcome, but it's gonna be okay. What, what are some of the things that you wish they would have said, or what, what would have made you feel more supported through that process of coming out? Just because we know some individuals who have come out and like, I, you know, you don't really being somebody else. I'm like, how do I show support to you? How do I show you that I'm very supportive of this? You know, cause like something 
my grandparents are very old fashioned, right? Mm -hmm. My grandpa, very like conservative and he has come like so far. Something that Armando and I recently talked about was, I was like, how does it feel for you? Because my, I think like I kind of threw him a curveball by marrying Mm -hmm. a Mexican. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And so I told him, I was like, how does it feel? You've literally changed my grandpa's entire perspective on, on a whole culture. Like, have you thought of that? And he was like, wow, I hadn't really thought of that. I'm like, well, I'm just letting you know that you did, you know, you have completely changed it. And like something that a conversation I've had with my grandpa on it is like, Hey, like, you know, and it's not that he's like against anything. It's just that it's not what he's used to. And so it makes him very uncomfortable. Something that I told him that I feel like maybe kind of stuck a little bit. I was like, pops, if a husband and wife are like making out and stuff, I don't want to see that. What people do behind closed doors, why does it matter to me? Like, I don't care who you love. Like, your PDA, I want to see your PDA no matter who you are. And he was like, okay, like, you're right. You know, I kind of, I guess I can, I feel the same way. And I'm like, yeah, I feel that same way, but yeah, that doesn't mean I don't support them. Like, and so I think that was kind of like a aha moment, but like, what would you give to others that are like, I want to show my support. I want these, like, what, what do you wish you would have had? I think that at the time, and especially talking to other people who have come out and had different experiences than me, both good and bad, Mm -hmm. is that I would have just wanted that, okay, you're gay. Got it. It's not a big deal. Yeah. Like, you still who you you are who you are, and we're going to love you no matter what. And and both my parents, of course, now they're at a point where that is how they feel, and my Mm -hmm. grandparents are the same way. They've accepted me for who I am. I think over the years they've realized like, wow, she didn't, this doesn't change her at all, but she's happier. She can be herself. And, and at the time of coming out, a lot of my friends were that way. They were like, you know what? That's fine. Like we love you. That's cool. But I, I did have those friends who were like, oh, so does, does that mean like that you like me? And I'm like, well, not really how it works. Yeah. And so (laughs) flatter yourself. Yeah. Yeah. And so the the way I kind of say to them, like, for, you know, straight couples or like straight women who might've said that to me, I'm like, do you feel attracted to every man that walks by? And like, yeah. well, well, no, like, okay, well, same that's, <laughs> that's exactly how I am. I'm not attracted to every female that walks by me. Yeah. And so in the people who, who've said it's a choice, you know, I've, I've heard that a lot, you know, it's a choice, mm-hmm. whether you're a lesbian or you're straight or gay. And I'm like, so is it a choice that you're straight? And they're like, well, what do you mean? I'm like, well, why don't, why don't you just date a female? Why don't you date the same sex? And they're like, mm-hmm. well, because I don't want to. I'm like, that's exactly how I feel about dating same men. <laughs> yeah. It's just putting it in that different perspective of, yeah. listen, I'm still the same person. I'm still going to be funny, goofy, sarcastic. Like, yeah. that's never going to change. But who I love is who I love. And if they make me happy, that's awesome. And that's yeah. all I'm looking for. Yeah. Yeah, I think one of my biggest takeaways and I feel like it's 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 something that I had to learn through the process is like you said is like just if 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 I were getting attracted to men doesn't mean that I'm attracted to all men, right? And mm-hmm. I feel like at a young age like you find out your friend's gay and you're like, "Oh my gosh. Is that what you were doing when we were wrestling?" Like is that yeah. like like no, like just I have a type and you're not my type. And I think that's really something that helps 
people understand where you're coming from. Just because I'm gay doesn't mean that I like you or I'm into you. Like I have a type, I, I, I know what I like and you're not what I like. So I think that's, if, if anybody can take something away from that process, if they do have a friend that's gay, I think just understanding that. Yeah, exactly. And that's, you know, that's why a lot of the times when I, when I start a new job, like when I started the job that you and I work together, it's not the first thing I tell people. It's not, Hey, I'm Brittany. I'm gay. It's, Hey, I'm Brittany. Get to know me. You're either going to like me or not for who I am. And here's just a little bit of who I am also is that I just happen to date women. Yeah. And you can make your judgment or, you know, what you think of me based off who I am as a person and not whether if I'm gay or straight. Is it hard for you to have that conversation now? Like when you meet somebody new? Um, no, not really. And it's, it's still just one of those things that I'll let it get brought up in conversation. So if, for instance, I, I used to be engaged. And so it was easy to say like, oh, yeah, my fiance. And instead of just saying fiance, they'd make their assumptions. I'd be like, oh, well, my fiance, she. And yeah. like put those two things together to be like, okay. Uh- I get it. Or if I like had a girlfriend, they're like, like girlfriend or girlfriend, girlfriend. I'm like, yeah, girlfriend, girlfriend. I'm gay. Like, yeah. <laughs> just giving them that. Yes, this is who I am. You can change your mind about me if you want, but that's on you. Do you feel like times have changed now? Cause I feel like, like, like in, all of us have something that we tell people that's new and we're kind of like waiting for their, their reaction. Do yeah. you feel like you still from when you first came out to now, is that kind of still the same thing with people? I think that it's changing for the better, for sure. And it definitely depends on where you're at. When I, when I lived up in Spokane, it was a pretty normal thing, definitely more accepted. And now living where I do at this time, it's still a very conservative area. And mm-hmm. it's one of those things where it's not super normal to see two girls walking down the street holding hands. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it definitely depends on where you're at and who you're with. And even going back home to my hometown, like super small, I'm, I still, there's a part of me that's not comfortable walking down the street, holding my girlfriend's hand because I'm afraid of what people might say. And it's just, I don't want them to think any differently of me. They have all, you've seen me grow up and you've seen me become this person who I am. This is just part of me. Yeah. I think it's so sad that people can change their view of a person. Like you could like a person, but you find out who they like and all of a sudden they're a different person to you. That just doesn't make sense to me. But like conversations that I've had with others is like, you know what? It doesn't have to make sense to us. That's on them, not on us. Like Mm -hmm. it's not your job to convince people. It's your job to be you. And those that accept you, like those are the type of people you want around you anyways. And it'll just weed out the weak, right? It'll weed out the ones that you don't want around you. But I just still think it's a little sad that we live in a world where that's such a thing, you know? Exactly. And kind of how you had mentioned earlier about like the PDA, that was one thing that my parents were like, well, we don't want to, we don't want to see anything. And I was like, well, you don't want to see anything with yeah. A male and a female either. Like, I, I don't want to see, see nothing. that. Yeah. <laughs> like, I, no matter which way, no matter who yeah. it is, like, no, thank you. <laughs> yeah. You keep that behind closed doors. I was like, that's just a, a respect thing, I think, for yeah. anyone being out in public, right? Exactly. Like, not everyone wants to see that. Exactly. Yeah. So I think that was a, that was a little bit of a pivotal moment for my grandpa. He was like, oh, okay, actually, yeah. When you put it that way, you're right. I'm like, yeah, I know. I don't like, I don't even want to see dogs doing it. Okay. Yeah. Like <laughs> makes me uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so kind of segueing into, cause 
right now as a firefighter, right? Yeah. That is a very male dominant job. I mean, it's still to this day. I mean, you go to any, any fire, any fire station, that's pretty much all guys. Like how has it been for you as a female going into this and being like, you know what? I'm part of the, I'm part of the crew. Like, this is me. This is who I am. I can do the job that you're doing. Yeah. It has been so fulfilling because I have just that like motivated, determined mindset. And Mm -hmm. I have always thought of myself as, you know what? I can do whatever the boys can do. Yep. I grew up racing dirt bikes and snowboarding and it was never, oh, you're a boy, you can, you're better than me. It was always, you know what? I want to be just as good as you. Mm-hmm. And that's one thing that I do love about the fire services. There's no, like, there's no difference between our physical test to a, a male's physical test. We all have to do the same thing. We all have to perform the same job. And there are things that I'm going to be better at than a man is going to be better at. And there mm-hmm. are things that he'll be better at than me. And it's one of those things that you just have to kind of sit back and realize this is the profession that I chose. I'm going to do it to the best of my abilities. And I do it because I love it. I'm here to help people. And if you don't think that because I'm a female that I can't help you, that's on you. Yeah. We, we had a, um, at my old department, we had an all female fire crew one day and we responded to a call. A uh, man was on the floor. He needed just a lift assist up and, sent off to the hospital we had got there and he was like well, where are the men at Gosh. well sir there's we're an all-female fire crew tonight really sorry to hear about that like our our ambulance is on the way and he's like well I don't want any of you touching me like okay have at it well the ambulance had pulled in and two female one EMT and one medic had walked out and I was like this is the best thing in the world right now and had walked in and there he was like or I think his exact words were, are you shitting me? And we were like, well, <laughs> yes, listen, like, buddy, you're either going to lay there or we're going to be able to help you up. And yep. it was at that time that I was like, wow, like there's still people who don't think that we can do our job or at times yeah. when I say like, oh yeah, I, I work for the fire department. And they're like, oh, what do you do there? Oh, I'm, you know, a janitor or secretary. Like, yeah. no, I'm, I'm a firefighter. I do the same job as the men. Yeah. And I remember a question that had got asked, um, because we got interviewed about the all-female fire crew and they're like, well, what did you guys do differently than a normal shift? And we were like, absolutely nothing. Yeah, absolutely yeah. nothing. I mean, besides our anatomy, there was no difference between if it was males or females. Actually, we crew. may have been just a smidge more badass than the, yeah. the, the crew yeah. of the men. <laughs> exactly. And, you know, that's just one of the things that I've come to realize. I, the department I worked at before, we did have a, a strong female presence. And working where I do now, we have a a little over a hundred people who work there, a hundred firefighters, and we have five females right now. So it's, it's such a small percentage of people, but it doesn't change how I interact with my coworkers or how I perform my job. And I just have to accept that. And you'll always get those people who don't think that you can do the job as well as a man can. Mm-hmm. You'll have those patients who don't feel like you can do the job as well as someone else can. Mm-hmm. And it's just having that mental strength and knowing, no, I know how to do my job, but I can. Yeah. I'm trained to just the same level as they are. I love that that story. I love that story of that patient. Like all of you women were sent to teach him a lesson on that day. I hope he learned that lesson. Literally when the ambulance got there, I was laughing like to myself. I was like, this is the greatest thing that could have possibly happened. Like, (laughs) yep. You'll learn today, sir. Yeah. You're either going to lay there till the next shift comes on or you will help you up. Yeah. 
Wow. Do you feel that you have had a hard time with like coworkers, male coworkers seeing you as an equal, or do you feel that you've been pretty lucky thus far? There's definitely been uh, coworkers, male coworkers who I've had that I feel think lesser of females in the fire service and will treat you differently, especially if you're a good looking female, they will see that as an opportunity to not have respect for you or to make passes or harass you. Yeah. And for me, that's one of those things that's like, you know what? I'm okay with myself and I'm okay saying you need to knock it off. Yeah. Like I'm here to do my job and I'm not going to let you tell me that I can't. Yeah. And it's one of the greatest things about, I used to help with academies and having the all male academies come in and I'm their instructor Yeah, and showing them, Hey, I do the job just as well as you do. You're going to have to listen to me because I'm the authoritative figure right now. Yeah. And I, I'm going to need your respect because I give that back to you. Yeah. Did at any point in your career, did you ever find a situation where you're like, maybe this isn't for me? You know, honestly, I don't think that there's been a time that I've been in the fire service that I was like, this isn't the job for me because every time I have a struggle with it or um, I feel like I can't do it, it's that the strong side of my brain that says, you know what, you've accomplished so much this far. Yeah. You can't, you can't take that step back. I mean, for instance, this, this year when we were doing technical rescue training, I had a moment where I don't like confined spaces Mm -hmm. And I had to crawl through a very small concrete tunnel. And Armando knows what I'm talking about (laughs) because I got down there and I was like, holy smokes, I don't know if I can do this. And it took looking up to one of my coworkers and he was like, you've got this, like you can do it. And I was like, you're right. I can do this. Mm -hmm. And being able to just accomplish like that small task that I had a mental block against. I was like, wow, like I feel like I can do anything now. Yeah. I feel so much better about myself and knowing that this isn't going to stop me. I'm going to keep going. I'm going to continue getting better at my job and learning things that I can do that will help people in the long run. Do you feel like, as you're kind of talking through that, do you feel that kind of going through your eating disorder and coming out and like really finding yourself and like going through all of those tough things, do you feel like that made you a better now, like firefighter and more resilient to, you know, push through difficult times in your life do you feel that it's just kind of proven to yourself like no matter what I'm faced with I've got this oh absolutely like my confidence from before my eating disorder during it before coming out and then until now has been boosted so much with just knowing that I've accomplished all these things at the age I am and being able to know that whatever I'm faced with I've gotten through worse in the past yeah and it's been worth it it's been worth it to choose recovery. It's been worth it to, you know, pursue the fire department. I had during my eating disorder, I, I didn't know what I wanted to do with my life. I really had no direction. And I was like, you know what, I'll go back to college. Well, I was in treatment during the fall semester. And so I was like, that's not an option. So I looked into joining the military. I was like, this is something that seems so fitting for me and I can do it. But the military has a rule that if you've had an eating disorder for longer than three months above the age of 13, you're automatically disqualified. Wow. And so I just kind of gotten to a point that I was like, what do I want to do with my life? And I was actually sitting um, at breakfast with my girlfriend at the time. And there was a water rescue happening right outside. And I, I felt like a little kid. I was like, this is the most exciting thing that I've ever seen. Like, 
this is what I want to do. And she was like, then do it. And I was like, oh my, well, how? And so I literally went yeah. home and Googled how to become a firefighter. Yes. And like from Good that old point, Google. Yeah, go Google. From that point on, like I went and got my EMT. I found an academy and it was, it's what I needed and it's what I loved. And I don't think that there's anything that could ever compare to how you feel about knowing that you just saved a life or you, you were there on someone's worst day. When someone yeah. calls 911, it's not because they're having a great day. It's because yeah. this is the worst day of their life and you get to be the person that's there for them. Yeah. I, you know what I always think of? I always think of the quote, and I don't, don't quote me exactly on this, but like firefighters are when everybody else is running out, they're running in. And like, th- like nothing says I'm a badass more than that. You know, like, I just like, you've got to feel so good doing that, you know, cause my profession, I'm not running, I'm, I'm running out, you know? So I just got, I've got to think like, you guys have to feel like such badasses sometimes. Like well, there's, there's times <laughs> then there's a tunnel and I'm humbled. Yeah. Then I'm like, well, that doesn't look like fun. <laughs> Gosh, great. Um, I don't think I have anything else. Yeah, that was great. Thank you so much for sharing your story. You know, I know you're probably pretty comfortable with being vulnerable now, but I really hope that somebody needed to hear this and needed to hear your story to, you know, not even just about overcoming an eating disorder, like coming out, being a female in a man dominant world per se, you know, but also just to say like, Hey, it's okay to be vulnerable. It's okay to struggle. It's okay to ask for help. There's just like a lot of really important lessons, but if you had to say, okay, this is one thing I want you to take away from my story, what would that be? So I've thought about this and there's actually this quote from Brene Brown and it really just like encompasses how I live my life today and the struggles that I've been through and my story. And I'll read it to you guys. It's, I used to think if I was vulnerable and told people my real story, it would be the end of me but I did it anyways. And what I found is that whenever I'm courageous and let people see the real me, all of my messes, mistakes, errors, and imperfections, I find new beginnings bursting with empathy, not endings. I hear me too a lot more often. And it's easier for my heart to connect to another now that I don't have to spend all my time trying to hide or pretend I'm someone that I'm not. I'm imperfectly worthy and committed to vulnerability. Wow. That is just like, that's what I like to live my life by every day now is that I know I'm imperfect, but I'm, I'm perfect being imperfect. I love myself and I'm okay being vulnerable. If it means I'm going to make those connections to other people that are, are going to be a solid bond that I can carry on for the rest of my life. Wow. Like that. And like, when I think of that, it's so hard for us to be ourselves because it's hard for us sometimes to face ourselves, like the truest parts of ourselves, but it is like, that's how you meet your people. And you, you don't want to be surrounded by a bunch of people that aren't your people, but, but yet we're afraid to be ourselves and, but you wouldn't attract your people if you weren't yourself, you know? So it's like, so what a tugging thing, you know what I mean? But like, just to be vulnerable, make those connections, like that is like truly living and like, what an amazing quote to end with. So I don't think we could end on a better note. Yeah, no, I definitely applaud you for everything that you've gone through, for everything that you continue to do, 
for yourself, for your family. And uh, I know that there's somebody out there that needed to hear this, that somebody that's maybe struggling with a disorder, an eating disorder, or trying to take a plunge into a, a new job, or even just struggling with their sexuality. So I know that somebody will listen to this and you will have helped them. Well, thank you guys so much. And I, I really appreciate you letting me be on here and tell my story and give that, get that opportunity to help someone out there that might've needed to hear this today. Yes. Thank you so much. Yes. Thank you guys. Thanks for listening to this episode of Self-Love Sit-Downs. If you liked this episode, please leave us a review. In the world of podcasting, the only way to climb the ranks is by receiving feedback via comments and ratings, in return, reaching as many people as possible. As always, if you love this episode or know someone who would find value in this, share it with a friend and tag us. You can find us on Instagram at Kelsey underscore Teddy and Mondofarius05. For any additional feedback, you can email us at selflovesitdowns at gmail.com.